This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Solomon says that the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what is to be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Ecclesiastes 10, 12-15 If you've ever put a drop of food coloring into a glass of water, well, you can see and you know with that experiment how a small amount of one thing can work its way through the entirety of something else. And this is one of the final pictures of foolishness that Solomon wants us to consider. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 10, in verse 1, he says, Like a fly and precious ointment, so folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And to make matters worse, such foolishness is oblivious to itself. Even parading around and proudly showing off as it destroys itself and one life after another. And I believe Paul echoes these words in Romans chapter 1 when he said, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This attitude of folly is blinding. It causes us to have a warped perception of reality and of self and to be unable to detect what has gone gone amiss in our lives. And the Bible has a lot to say about foolishness. Of course, not just in the book of Ecclesiastes, but in many places. And David said in the Psalm, Psalm 14 and verse 1 that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And Jesus reveals in his parables, the rich man who failed to prepare for eternity was called a fool by God in Luke chapter 12. And of course, Solomon himself had much to say about it elsewhere throughout the book of Proverbs. And as I mentioned, what he's already said throughout this book in chapter 2 and chapter 5 and in chapter 7. And now here, he, I believe, expands more on the conclusions. And so he gives us this illustration that folly, foolishness, is like a fly in precious ointment. It outweighs wisdom and, and honor. And this is an illustration of a point that he just made in chapter 9, where he says wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. In Ecclesiastes 9, verse 18. So we think about the vivid, vivid examples, I think, in, in our time that are easily relate, relatable and we, we can see, especially in the days of social media, right? If you're going to act like a fool, it's very easy really for the rest of the world to to take notice and see. All it takes is one off-color post, um, even from the distant past, and people are going to find it, right? They're doing that all the time to ruin uh, a person's ambitions or political career or in the sports world, right? Uh, you know, one news anchor chooses his words unwisely on one broadcast and that's all it takes is just one offhanded remark and he's done, right? One Just one moment of thoughtlessness can undo his entire career, uh, whatever good he's accomplished, and 
I believe Solomon is just concisely summing up that that reality. And then he observes in verse 3 that even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. And so just as wisdom is known and seen in one's life, right? Jesus said wisdom is vindicated by her children, and that, of course, is, is echoed by Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is saying it's the same with foolishness. It's going to be instantly recognizable to anyone with any sense who is a discerning person. As much as a fool might try to hide the fact that he's a fool, he's going to expose himself. He says to everyone that he is a fool. He gives himself away by his words, his actions, his past. And, you know, again, one of the sad things about this is that he is apparently unaware of the transparency of his foolishness, right? And it's especially tragic when it takes place in government. You know, you look at the headlines and you might think, and I just use this as an example, um, you know, you just wonder how how can people conscientiously wear their hypocrisy on their sleeves, right? Uh, so one example that comes to mind is, the narrative that is pushed that you know a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man and whatever an individual says they are that's the reality of what they are um, you know regardless of what gender they were born as or the physical characteristics of their body and then you know you ha- you see a headline like well trans women are still going to be expected to register for the draft military draft but trans men will not have to and you you know you don't have to look you don't have to look very hard you don't have to squint to see the inconsistency in those uh two doctrines right and and it just says it just shouts i'm i'm a fool i'm a, i'm a hypocrite and it's recognizable <clears throat> and but at the same time they seem just completely People, that is, those who push that narrative, and again, I just offer that as one example because it's one I came across the other day. They seem to be oblivious to the transparency of such foolishness. Uh, and it's especially tragic when it takes place in government who, you know, whose God-given responsibility is uh, the protection of its, of its own people and the enforcement of the law. Uh, so when those who are in leadership positions act foolishly, whether we're talking about in the home or in the church or where, wherever the case may be, the consequences are compounded in the lives of the ones that they're responsible, responsible for, whether we're talking about their kids or employees or whatever the case may be. So to have a fool on your team is bad enough, but when he's the team leader, it can be catastrophic. Verses 5 through 7, look at what Solomon says. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And there are exceptions to these rules, of course, and, and Solomon, for a lot of the book, has, you know, Ecclesiastes is by and large an observation of the exceptions to life, Right that the race is not always to the swift or the battle to the strong, etc. And so furthermore, the, you know, the inversions that take place, princes as slaves and, and slaves on horses and so forth, that could be the result of divine judgment, like it was in the case of Haman and Esther, uh, who 
or I should say Haman and Mordecai, as a result of Esther's action and her faithfulness to God, when one of those men sought to destroy God's people and honor himself in, in the process, God flipped the script, right? And it was the man who plotted destruction who that was ultimately destroyed himself. And the man who would be the victim, God exalted to the high place, and he was paraded through the streets with, with honor. And so Solomon here makes the point, too, that you know the poor can also possess wisdom, and their poverty is not necessarily an indication of their foolishness, and those who are wealthy in the ruling classes are not immune to corruption and they can be fooled. Their, their wealth is not a reflection of their, their wisdom. In fact, they could be very, very foolish. And so never, but nevertheless, the Bible often associates wealth with prudent and, and godly living as Solomon does in Proverbs 10, four and, and poverty with foolishness in Proverbs six eleven. and wealth often affords a greater opportunity to pursue learning and, and wisdom uh, and Solomon follows with four everyday scenarios that illustrate wisdom's usefulness and the detriment of, of failing to apply wisdom in a timely fashion. So in verses 10 and 11, he says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. You know, so when someone is splitting logs, a man can use wisdom and make his work easier by sharpening his axe, or he can leave it unsharpened and exhaust himself a whole lot faster. And so the principle is, you know, you know, apply, get wisdom and apply it. Like as, like he, you know, is the opening salvo of, of Proverbs as he's addressing his son in those first 10, ten chapters, applying wisdom to using an axe makes it easy, right? So it's a pretty simple um, concept to grasp. Wisdom gives an, an advantage. And by contrast, Solomon teaches us that a man's wisdom or skill is not going to be of any profit if it's not applied at the proper time. Uh, you know, he gives us this picture of a snake who bites before it's charmed, and then the charmer's in trouble, right? And he's exposed before all. And so Solomon is showing in this series of Proverbs that though wisdom is is valuable and dangerous and difficult task, its its value can be completely mitigated. Uh, by our failure to apply it or not applying it in time, right? And there's two other scenarios which he gives and wherein a man's actions can prove to be his undoing. In verse 8, his, he says that he who digs a pit may fall into it and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. And so foolishness can be, you know, it can unleash all kinds of hidden in dangers when we're imprudent and undiscerning or hasty, you know these are uh, these are activities Solomon is using to illustrate people doing without giving any forethought, right? Just breaking through the wall, and then you you know you find a snake, you know, in, in ancient times when you were, um, I guess demolishing or or putting up a, a building, and so we can be destroyed by the products of our own labor, and the I believe the message is. Don't rush headlong into a task before preparing and don't take unnecessary risks and harm yourself, uh, but exercise exercise caution. And next, Solomon focuses on the speech of fools, that it is, he says, ungracious and will often hurt others, but in the end, it brings the greatest harm to himself. Verse 12, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious 
while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. And so the fool, according to Solomon, doesn't know when to shut up, right? He just, his his mouth consumes him. And the fact that no man knows what the future holds doesn't prevent him from multiplying words about it. And this is something that James draws upon in his book, if you remember in James 4.16, where he's describing individuals who will boast about the future and have all these plans and act like they know what's going to happen. And James says, all such boasting is evil, right? Instead, you ought to say, if God wills, we will go to this city and do this and that um, if it is the Lord's will. So Solomon making the same point that a fool is, you know, a mark of foolishness is that one is so proud and, and entitled that he believes he can predict the future and make all these kind of groundless predictions, even though it's the Bible takes for granted that no human can say what's going to happen. Uh, but this doesn't stop him. Uh, so by contrast, the words of a wise man's mouth give grace to those who hear him. Um, but, you know, the, the words of the fool, they're not they're not pleasant. They're destructive. They're, you know, they smack of of arrogance. But then it gets worse. Verse 13, beginning of his talking is folly and the end of it is wicked madness. What begins as foolishness ends in raving madness or evil madness, your Bible might say. And so his foolishness ceases to be an annoyance. It was always an annoyance, but it becomes like this pathological condition. And this too is a biblical principle that you find time and time again that uh, evil men and imposters go from bad to worse. Uh, right in, in Romans chapter 6, I believe it's verse 19, that lawlessness results, results in further lawlessness. Uh, so there's no, you know, scripturally there's no uh, middle ground or, or resting spot uh, between wisdom and foolishness. We're, we're moving in one direction or another. Uh, I think we can illustrate this by using depression as an example. Everyone feels depressed from time to time, circumstances, tiredness, a feeling of helplessness, maybe genetic predispositions, um, I, I don't know, uh, you know, clinical stuff. But there's all these sorts of things that can weigh us down and maybe trigger, uh, you know, these these feelings within us. But it's possible to emerge uh, a lot wiser from, from those times. Um, but for some, it you know, it becomes uh, a clinical condition that only gets worse and worse, right? When they say, I am depressed, they're not describing a feeling anymore, but like a state of being that's just in, enveloped them, and it's just on ongoing. And so it is with, with foolishness. What can begin as a momentary act or word can end in a state of being, and I think biblically we can prove this with with King Saul, who was a notorious example. He went he went from bad to worse. Um, he started off so so well, uh, but his his sin and his pride and his unwillingness to repent and foolishness it took him down a path of destruction for himself and for his family and for his kingdom. And and a lot of good people suffered because of it. David being one of them. David, you know, he came away with his life by God's grace, but he he still suffered at the hands of Saul. And and one of the most uh, tragic parts of that whole account is 
Jonathan, whom David loved as as his own soul, and who, who was who was Saul's son, uh, died in battle with him. And uh, it's a it's a beautiful relationship and story and fellowship that, that David and Jonathan have. But yet, the foolishness of his his father took him down a path of destruction. And so, another mistake that the fool makes is confusing uh, quality with quantity, and you know this this multiplying of of words. And Jesus applies this to our our prayers, right? When he's teaching in Matthew chapter six, he says, "When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words." And so that problem persists today. You know, we confuse quantity with with quality just because we say a long prayer or we can, you know, make a lengthy comment in, in Bible class, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually edifying, that it's actually any good. Um, so out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth speaks. And we can't speak wisely if we have no wisdom, if we haven't been storing it up from from God's Word and drawing upon uh, God's Word to gain the wisdom that he offers to us. And through prayer, as James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him let him pray. And then God who gives generously to all without reproach will will do that. And we we have to put something worthwhile in before something worthwhile can can come out. And finally Solomon returns to the subject of of rulers near the end of this chapter. Verse 17 Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. And so Solomon here at the end contrasts the sorry state of a nation whose leaders are incompetent and undisciplined, verse 16, and the blessedness of a nation whose leaders are who are disciplined and not taking advantage of their abundance, but using it wisely, being good stewards. In, in being competent. Good rulers make a notable difference in the character of a church, in the character of a family, in the character of a country, you know, in, in, in every scenario. And so let me let me use that that point to wrap us up here in, as we think about the ultimate and perfect ruler that God sent, and that is his his only son, Christ himself, who brings the rule of God into our lives and we are able to submit to him and no wisdom and no righteousness and truth. You know, as Paul says, all, all treasures of knowledge and wisdom are hidden in, in Christ and oh, the depth and the riches of the knowledge of and wisdom of God. Uh, so he is, he is the source. He's the fountainhead of all that is, that is good and wise and true. And so we have to cling cling to him. If we're going to avoid these mistakes that Solomon is describing here, these behaviors uh, that are so destructive in this life and certainly in in the life to come, uh, we must walk with the master and honor him and and submit to his his teachings. Have you done that? Uh, I would challenge you to investigate him further and to commit yourself to him before it's too late. Thanks for tuning in.